Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash From another time comes a man of great power. Talk funny, Nash. Where are you from? Lots of different places. A warrior of incredible strength. You've the devil in you. We've been kinsmen 20 years. Connor McLeod was my kinsman. I don't know who you are. Because you were born different, men will fear you, try to drive you away. <laughs> A man uncertain of his future. What you got here, Brenda, is a guy who's been creeping around since at least 1700. It's not possible. And haunted by his past. Wait a minute, Nash. I want some answers. You cannot die, McLeod. I am Conor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. I was born in 1518 in the village of Glenfinnan on the shores of Loch Shiel. I am immortal. <laughs> A hero who is about to face his greatest challenge. You will always be weaker than I. What can you tell me about a seven-foot lunatic hacking away with a broadsword at one o'clock in the morning, New York City, 1985? Not much. Hello and welcome to Smash Pod, a podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. It's side special time again, and this week we'll be travelling back and forth in time while trying not to lose our head, or accent. Yes, it's Highlander. Joining me to fight like a Scottish Egyptian is public historian, author, and historical consultant to the amazing Horrible Histories, Greg Jenner, who can be found on Twitter as Greg underscore Jenner. Greg, hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been a pleasure all round, <laughs> by the sounds of it. We're it's meeting in the fun. middle. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. I am a fan of the show. Yay! That's really nice to hear. I'm a fan of your show. Yay! As are my kids. <laughs> Well, that's what kids do. They seem to love horrible histories, and we are very grateful. It's very good. It's a good. It's a good meeting in the middle because parents love it as well because it's very funny. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we try and sneak the odd joke in for mum and dad, mm-hmm. and uh, and even for grandmas. So uh, mm. we try to appease all uh, watchers, but it's mainly for the kids. Yeah, and it works that way. Yeah, that's the job. But talking of mainly for kids, Highlander, <laughs> not remotely for kids. Not all kids. No, no, it's very rude. It's quite violent. It is. I mean, I was excited. I. 
You haven't seen this, had you? I've never seen this because film. I, uh, to give you uh, the, the listeners, I was going to say viewers, but they're not, a backstory. I approached Greg and said, you know what, you should come on Smashpod because you expressed an interest. And I said, I've got just the film for you. It's <laughs> full of history and it's got Sean Connery. And I was excited. And you I were said, excited. I was like, what is it? And you said... Highlander. And I said, what, the one with the Queen thing, oh, the band? Yeah. And you, you went... Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I, I knew... I knew of of Highlander, but by mainly because of the music. Yes, which is all through this film. Yeah, I mean they really ram it in, don't they? They yeah. absolutely got their money's worth. Who wants to live forever? Oh, it's a good tune. It is good, and I like the way that um, in much the same way they used to do in old films, they slip a liner from a song in the film. Yeah, it's a kind of magic. A couple of times over. Now, yeah. did that preempt the song, or did the song come after? I, I reckon mean? it preempted the song because the song's in the film, but it's completely different to the single. Yeah. It comes at the end titles. It comes at the end titles. And it's and, completely different to the single. And in the film, they've given it a sort of slight zhuzh. They've, this is a sort mm. of remix. And also, in the 80s, if you had a song from a film, you would include the bits from the film in the video, wouldn't you? Yeah, I guess and so. And Kind of Magic has no clips from Highlander in the video. Does it not? No, it's them in a broken-down old cinema or some sort of theatre. Oh, yeah, that's it's right. It's a theatre. It is a theatre, isn't Mercury it? And Mercury comes in like a magician. Yes. And makes them all wake up via cartoons. Which is just like Highlander. It's just like Mercury as well. That's what he used to do. He brought life to everybody. He's the animator. He is. Unfortunately, he gave life. He did. I mean, he took life. Well, he, you know. I don't mean it like that. I mean, he died, is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) He did. We all have to die at some point. Highlander starts with a Sean Connery narration. Yeah, and a really lovely one too, Mm. because you can tell that he's clearly uh, been handed a piece of paper and said, just just read that, would you, Sean? It feels like a bet, because it's got the most S's in it ever. He's like, there was a time of Scottish Shemolina. We walk amongst you. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, they definitely have just said, could you read this while you're in your villa? Yeah. Presumably somewhere nice, Spain, Florida, I don't know. I, I think he lives in Marbella, didn't he? Does he? Something like that. Oh. Or he did. I think now he lives in Barbados. Yeah, he's definitely out that way now, isn't he? I think in the 80s he lived in Spain, because the reason they got him for Time Bandits is that they filmed in Spain, and he could do it during golf tournaments. I mean, that's the priority. Yeah. If you're an actor... Uh, Connery, that's... that's his life, was golf. <laughs> golf and knocking women about. No, we're not going to get that. Oh, sorry. Tough stuff. Yeah, no, but, but I, like, I like the opening credit sort of voiceover. Mm. It feels a bit like, oh, God, we need to tack this on because we haven't explained it in the film. Yes. But I sort of was like, oh, OK. Yeah. All right, they walk among us. They do. A race of men who live forever... Uh, but, you know, they're a secret from humans. They have to keep themselves a secret. And then it ends with that sort of dot, 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 until now. It's kind of like you, Kip. Apart from <laughs> the living forever part. You know, they walk among us. They walk among <laughs> us. Uh, but they have a really, really short lifespan. They have the gathering, which is a UKIP conference. They do. And occasionally people lose their heads. Oh, that is a strong analogy. It's good, isn't it? I've done a couple of those today. <laughs> and you've pointed them out because you're very kind. Uh, but then we, we see a wrestling match. Which is it's got one of the most incredible crane shots I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, they spent a lot of money. I don't know how it was achieved because now you'd look at that and you'd be like, "Well, that's a drone," because it literally drifts in from the roof, goes right around the ring, and then back up to the rafters. Obviously, it's a crane, but bloody hell, it looks good. But this is Madison Square Gardens as well, so this is real access. Like they clearly, the director has has pulled a couple of strings. I saw in the extras that they wanted to make it hockey. Oh, really? Ice hockey because they wanted to have it cut from here to a battle. And they thought, what well, a good way to do it is have a, someone with a hockey stick cut. Because ah. have you noticed in the film, the, the director, Ru- Russell McKay, 
Is that how you pronounce it? I think so. I, I, looked, I, I looked at it and went, you know what, I'm not going to try. He did loads of Duran Duran videos. Yeah, he's a music... My God, yeah. is it obvious <laughs> in this film. But they wanted to have it because he's a big fan of um, switching from one scene to another with symbolism. So there's a point where he gets McLeod's face to match up perfectly with a, a Mona Lisa painting on the side of a yes, wall. Yes, I did it notice matches that. matches perfectly. And I think he wanted to have someone with a hockey stick then cutting to someone holding a Do sword. Do a match cut and then... But apparently the hockey people were like, nope. What, because... They didn't want to be associated with a They didn't Duran want to be associated Duran. with violence, I suppose, even with though, vi- as the person in the extra said, hockey matches are fights that occasionally have hockey in them. Yeah, I mean, like, of all sports, mm. ice hockey is like, it's basically punching on ice. Yes, it is. It's like an ITV show, isn't it? It's, I mean, they should call it that. Punching on ice. Punching on ice. But With Todd Carty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyway, so they have wrestling, and uh, yeah, there's this incredible crane shot, and then it brings back his memories of, you know, his Braveheart stuff. Yeah. Very briefly, we get a taster. We get, I mean, I immediately was confused, hmm. because, I mean, he's in the, audi- he's in the audience, yeah. he's watching the wrestling, mm-hmm. he clearly doesn't care for the wrestling. No. This is a man who's not gone for wrestling. He's gone for the gathering. He's gone for the gathering, yeah. and the gathering is, as you say, a UKIP party conference yes. of two people yeah. in a car park. This is quite good, actually, because the person he meets later, I'll explain is in line with you, Kip, but uh, we'll get there. I don't want to okay. spoil it right now, because <laughs> okay. when, I, when I say it, it'll blow your goddamn mind. Um, but, yeah, it brings back memories of these Braveheart stuff. We touched on it briefly. Then he goes to the par- car park, and he, it's kind of like Deep Throat from um, All the President's Men. Yeah. Except with swords. Yeah. And the man looks a bit like a young Steve Bannon. Yeah, no, I was trying to place who I thought this man looked like. Mm. He's gone with the aviator shades... Very shiny, Avis. Very shiny. And the director, again, being a Duran Duran director, think, oh, I can use them for a yeah. shot later with the reflection. It's nicely done. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't look in particularly great shape, but no. I googled him. Apparently, no. he was the stunt coordinator. I was going to say, he looks like a stuntman because he throws himself about a lot. Well, he does a lot of stupid backflips unnecessarily. Those backflips are funny. I would have <laughs> laughed my head off if I was Conor McLeod. Yeah. And the man I was going to fight did a 15 minute backflip all the way around the I car. Mean, he literally commutes by backflipping. He, he he's, he's not even interested in moving forward. No. He only moves backwards. Yeah. Inverted, while his face is basically facing the Again, ground. Again, like UKIP, it goes backwards. <laughs> <laughs> it's cyclical, but backwards. Exactly. Uh, UKIP always keep renewing themselves. The <laughs> yes. Always. Always. Go everywhere backwards. Always going in circles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that fight, I, I enjoyed the fight, but it was immediately apparent that the director didn't quite know what to do with it. So I just thought, well, we'll just have a massive sort of pile up on the all the cars. They'll jump yeah. on the cars. They'll mm-hmm. do some backflips. Mm-hmm. There'll be like unnecessary smoke coming out of air vents or something everywhere, yeah. and then swords will probably I don't know at some point hit some electric cables and then we'll have sparks everywhere. He loves the sparks, and that's just the whole film, isn't it? It's just sparks and cables and power and mm. sort of smog drifting through yeah. as big men swing their uh, phallus symbols. You know the funny thing about this film, uh, particularly for the sword everything, fights, basically well, everything. We'll yeah. get there, but for the sword fights particularly, it's funny because Christopher Lambert. Ah, Christopher Lambert. He is blind as a bat without glasses, and he can't wear contact lenses because he's allergic to them. That's amazing. So when he's not wearing glasses, he can't see. And there are scenes in this film where he is wielding a sword <laughs> and throwing it at somebody else. <laughs> that stunt coordinator was thinking, "Christ Almighty, I'm going to die." This is the backflipping. Then that's Must what be. I mean. Must the whole—that's just him improvising, yeah. thinking. Actually, I'm working with an amateur. That like, was from the rushes. He was yeah. like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Backflip. But actually, later on, I was reading later on, the guy who plays the villain uh, accidentally almost killed Sean Connery. Oh, really? Yeah, the, the scene where he... I mean, I don't want to ruin it, but... The, the this, Kurgan. The, the Kurgan yeah. uh, sort of burst in big old fight. Uh, apparently, was meant to swing his sword and cut the table in half. <gasps> Just got that wrong. I know the moment you mean, yeah. And, and 
apparently smashed his sword into something solid and a bit of metal sort of flung, flew off, very nearly killed Sean Connery in the Jesus face. Christ. And Sean Connery was not pleased. This could have been like the crow with Connery. Oh, God, yeah, the Connery crow. Yeah. yeah. Bloody hell. In any case, it sounds like a dangerous film. It does. So, you know, full credit that everyone age. survived. Everybody was probably on drugs as well. Yeah, probably. Probably. Mid-80s. Um, but this guy backflips, so he's exit pursued by a Lambert. <laughs> Shakespeare, bit of Winter's Tale, very nice. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, so they have a bit of a fight, and then just long story short, he cuts the man's head off. He does. Uh, And now the interesting thing for me as a historian, I immediately went, "Hang on a minute, this is a this is a man wielding a Japanese samurai katana." Exactly. Interesting sword choice. Yeah. Against a man wielding a 16th century uh, Toledo Salamanca. Exactly. Which is congruous. well, these are not the swords you will want in your standard car park fight. You'd want a broadsword, wouldn't you? Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends on your style, doesn't it? I'd have a gun. That's not really a sword fight. I'd shoot his, his <laughs> neck lots so his head fell off. Oh, you just machine gun him? Yeah. Oh, that's I'd get like a really good... Would that count? Would that count in the Well, I mean, it depends who writes the rules, doesn't it? I mean, they haven't... Ex- I mean, the oh. caption at the beginning... I'm going to read the caption because I found on. it. Oh, God, good. Thank you. Because well, uh, we should explain Greg's laptop decided to do an update. It did. It was really unhelpful. Thanks, yeah. Windows. Uh, I won't do the accent because I, I, you know, I can't Sean Connery Please properly. Don't. But the, no. the accent is, uh, from the dawn of time, we came... And this is very echoey. Yeah. From the dawn of time, we came, moving silently down through the centuries, living many secret lives, struggling to reach the time of the gathering, when the few who remain will battle to the last. No one has ever known we were among you. Until now. Q Queen, Prince of the Universe. Yeah. Classic song. Great so... Song. That doesn't really give us any clues as to, as to why the head severing uh, needs to happen. But Did you tell me you copy and pasted that? No. You typed that? I'm, I'm a typist. I, I like to type things. Thanks, Greg. That's all right. I really appreciate yeah, that. I'm bringing, you know, a, a real authenticity to this podcast. Yeah, but then we get the quickening. Yeah, I mean, so that is, is very exciting. the rush that most murderers get, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I imagine Sutcliffe got this. <laughs> you know, like, ah! <laughs> After we've murdered someone, I really hope not. Yeah. Um, All right, uh, someone, someone more trendy. I don't know, tr- OJ Simpson. Oh, <laughs> I mean, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly no, I mean. he said he did it. Did he? Well, he said if I did it. He said That's if I did it, and then he wrote that in a book. Yeah, everyone went. Really? And the best thing about that book is it said the if is in tiny letters, and it says I did it. That's, I mean, it's extraordinary they didn't put him in prison just for that. I know. I imagine mean, that. Because that's imagine really writing a book where you've basically gone if I did it. What was the first thing you said? What? <laughs> Didn't say anything. Um, yeah, I mean, so the quickening is essentially yeah. space lightning, which comes and sort of gives you a... And it's very sexual. I mean, yeah. We'll get to it later, but there's lots of dripping. Yeah, he gets very sort of sweaty and aroused. and, and Yeah, there's quite very, of... I've written here, there's lots of dripping. There's even a point where kind of like white paint drips out of the ceiling. And yeah. It's very sort of um, semen-y. And also he, all the cars get aroused. They do. The engines switch on and they imagine, sort of... Imagine if you watch a wrestling match, right, and you think, oh, you've got your child with you. Yeah. And that's a pain anyway. And you think, oh, the kid's asleep on me. We'll go down to the car park and we'll go home. And you get in the car park, there's a headless corpse yep. and all your windows have been blown out. Yeah, and all the cars have moved like eight feet from where they were parked. And they're having cigarettes. Uh, yeah, because every, all, everything in there is essentially sort of orgasmically aroused by yeah. the quickening. Yeah, it's like being with Russell Brand's car park. <laughs> Russell Brand probably would have, have had sex with several of those cars. Yeah, he's like that I man mean, with the, you know, the Land Rover picture. I do not know what that there's means. A, there's a famous picture of a man having sex with a... Uh, uh, exhaust pipe of a Land Rover. Oh my God! Whilst really? wearing a lady's underwear. Yeah, and he looks a bit like um, 
Mr. Mr. Tumble, which is wow. unfortunate. Yeah, no, I mean that's really unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Well, uh, well, he looks like Mr. Tumble. Yeah, I mean it is. You can't say that he's on the same channel as you. I know. I mean, I'm I'm now standing up for the integrity of CBBC. You've met Mr. Tumble, haven't you? Uh, I've been in the same room as him. Right. He's he's basically a god among men. He's like, god. Like he's got um, not only has he got a you know a show where he's got his own house. Yeah. But he also has his own sketch show. Mm. Yeah, and like I, I was at the kids' baftas and uh, like he walked in and all the celebrities in the room just went. Oh my god, it's Mr. Tumble. <laughs> you could just see them going. Is he like the Godfather? He's he's basically the sort of the man who brings peace and calm to the the children, the celebrities, and they Aww. just you could see their faces. Like Gary Barlow presented him an award, and Gary Barlow was like over the moon. Was he really excited? Tony was. Yeah, which as you can tax. imagine, <laughs> they don't pay tax on the moon, so he'd love it there. No, and obviously Gary Barlow over the moon is basically just Gary Barlow normal. But yeah, it was an exciting moment for all of us. Oh, um, good. But the man shaking a, a Land Rover. It's new to me, so I'll... I won't send it to you because it's unpleasant. Thanks. That's all right. It's good of you. I would say I'd send it to you, but that's... No, you don't want to see that. So McLeod then hides his sword at the crime scene, which I was confused by. He, he hides the other guy's sword. I thought it was his. No. He, th- ah. he throws the Toledo Salamanca, I thought it was which his. is the other man's sword. Thank you, because so, that didn't make any sense. No. See, he basically stashes it in an overhead, like, bit. No, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. He hides his. No. Because she finds the Salamanca under a car. No, he. I watched it this morning. All right, he puts he puts in an overhead thing. Yeah, he takes his sword with him because his sword is like super important because mm-hmm. it's a Japanese katana made in like before they made them. before it's made in 500 BC, which is ridiculous because we'll Japan doesn't exist. Because I need to ask BC. your opinion about that. Yeah, okay. Like, you're on hand. You're my expert. I am. I'm, I'm here to. I'm really excited to, to soothe see you. I can't with I, actually. You know, I can't underestimate it too much. I'm, thank you for coming. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, so, the, okay, he hides a sword. We can quibble over which one. I'm fairly certain it's the Toledo Salamanca because oh. Brenda finds it. She does. And Brenda is, she's a sword expert. She is a sword expert. We don't know that at the beginning. No. I don't know if that's pork sword or normal sword. Hey. hey. No, I'm joking, of course. And then we cut back to 1536. Good year. Yeah. Uh, the Clown McLeod. And then we meet Angus McExposition. <laughs> He's like, we're off to battle now. Are you ready for war? And yeah, I mean, like, everyone seems delighted. They are. They're like, ha, ha, ha. Hooray, battle. There's laughter. It's like, oh, I've left my trousers at home. <laughs> and it's, it's a really lovely scene as well, because you mm. can see that everyone's gone, well, we'll set this in Scotland, which means we'll need pipes, we'll yeah. need kilts, yeah. we'll need tartan a go-go. Everyone should be red-haired. They've really gone for it. They've really... This is near your area of expertise, isn't it? Fifteen thirty-six. I mean, yeah, pretty We're much. Not a million miles from the medieval days. Not at all. This is no. what we call early modern, but it is yeah. definitely ballpark. I mean, obviously, bagpipes not invented at the well, they're sort of invented, but not the the bagpipes we see on screen. Kilts, not really. Uh, tartan, not really. So they've they've sort of just gone. Ah, it'll be fine. <laughs> like Mel Gibson did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. And basically, you know, if you want to portray Scotland, you go to the kilts. That's that's your default move. Yeah. I I have no problem with it. But technically speaking, uh, that's one of the less believable things about this film. Although, is it? Is I mean, it? is it? I mean, I I'll know. tell you about the sequel later. That'll, that'll yeah, make your hair stand on end. So I said on Twitter, I was, I've watched Highlander, and everyone mm. went, "Don't watch the sequel. Mm. Just don't." I'll tell you later. Okay. Yeah. I'll maybe even get you back for that one. <laughs> I don't mean in a revenge way. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a threat. Yeah. And then uh, they're on the way to the battle, and um, one of them looks really like Matt Berry. It bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe maybe it was Matt Berry? I don't think he was. He'd have been like 10 years old, probably. Yeah, but I get the feeling that Matt Berry at 10 looks properly... Had a beard. Yeah. Yeah. I'd thought so, and had yeah. that voice too. Yeah. But this guy can't do a Scottish accent. Doesn't matter. No one. James Cosmo... Probably is the only one who can do a Scottish accent in this. Yeah. 
He's bringing it. The other ones are like, oh, I'm from Scotland. <laughs> and Sean Connery also. Oh, yeah, but he's not playing it. Oh, we're going to get this. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so Bordy laughs all round, and then there's war. And then the Kurgan, who's American for some reason. Well, he's just sort of generic bad guy. I wouldn't mind if they were kind of like, look, we're just going to do our own voices, we're not going to worry about it. But lots of people are trying to be Scottish. Yeah. And the Kurgan's come along, he's like, leave McLeod to me. Yeah, and he's wearing a really fetching skull helmet. That mm. you, you can see that he's clearly bought off eBay and he's very yeah. proud of it. Because uh, it fits... Muck eBay, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> eBay. Ye- oh, yeah. old eBay. Some yeah, sorry. To say, I, uh, you know what? I thought of that and then thought, I, you won't get the reference, but he bloody uh, was involved in the programme. Sorry, yeah, wrote the show. I watched um, that show with my... I watched that episode with my son the other day. Um, so he's wearing his lovely skull helmet and he's, as you say, he says, you know, leave, leave one of them among them is called Connor, leave him to me. What I love about that is that... At no point yeah. does Connor announce himself as, hi, I'm Connor. He's got a label on. Oh, right. Party. I didn't see that. Yeah. I didn't see that. So right. like, the, the horde of bad guys all seem to know who Connor is uh, just based on, like I don't know, pheromones? Must be. Yeah. And just, he's, got, he's such a brilliant warrior that he literally stands around going, won't someone attack me? That's Why don't you attack them? This is my favourite bit. I wrote, it down. I wrote oh, the please, dialogue down. Please. So he, he yells... And bear in mind, this is Christophe Lambert, who is not Scottish. No, he isn't. And speaks no English. He's French. So he's yelling, McLeod! Ah, fight me, damn you! Ah, fight me, you cowards! Nobody will fight me! Why will they not fight me? Uh, <laughs> they all run away! That's literally word for word what he's saying. Yeah. Uh, and then the Kurgan stabs him. Yeah, <laughs> like, he, he announces himself with a thunder strike. Yeah. Goes, McLeod! Yeah. And then stabs him. And yeah. he's about to cut his head off. Yes. As because he wants the quickening. And then Matt Berry rescues him. Matt Berry rescues him. Yeah. And they take Connor back. And then we switch back to modern day. Yes. And uh, McLeod, who's now, we know, is called Russell Nash. He's arrested at the car park for driving dangerously, which seems a bit harsh. Yeah. And the policeman says to him, don't even breathe. That policeman building his part quite Garfield substantially. Garfield is called, isn't he? Yeah. You get a good line from well, towards him later. Yeah, he's having a good time, that actor. But don't even breathe. Don't even breathe. You wouldn't say that to somebody, would you? I don't know. Unless uh, you want them to actually die. I mean, you know, the NYPD are famously, you know, not subtle. So, no. you know, maybe he really hates breathers. Probably. So, uh, And know. then back to 1536 we go. Uh, McLeod is dying and yeah. everybody's sad about it Celia Emery is here yeah now that confused me because in my head Celia Emery is perpetually 50 so yeah. I mean that's obviously harsh of me but young Celia well, Emery well this would be around the time she was doing the Victoria Widow seen on TV <gasps> that's probably true yeah so she's probably in her early 30s I yeah she probably is in any case she seems very sad that her Rather lovely handsome lady I should point out she's very beautiful yeah. uh, but she's very upset that very. Connor McLeod is, is about to snuff it she soon changes her mind, by the way. She, but, yeah. she is not consistent. Can I just ask you a question? If someone you quote-unquote loved yes. was dying, mm. and then the next day they got up and was like, do you want a drink? Let's go to the pub. Would you accuse them of being a devil? Absolutely. Default position for me. Would no, you? I mean, obviously I, can, I accuse everyone I meet of being a devil. Is, is this a pet cemetery type thing? Yeah, it's just, a, that they're gonna, it's just a good way of weeding out the... They're going to cut your... The, the pet cemetery with the little kid cuts the man's um, Achilles. Yeah. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, it's nasty. No, I mean, the interesting thing, you know, I'll bore you with some medieval history for about please, 17 please seconds. That's why you're here. Uh, Not to bore, but... People recovered from injuries all the time in the Middle Ages, mm. and it was usually uh, afforded to saintly intervention. So normally, actually, the default response was to go, ah, that's God, that's ah. God being being handy. And usually when someone was dying, you would say a prayer over them, and you'd usually then sort of devote that prayer to a saint, normally a saint with a Lazarine power. Now, Lazarine power is the ability to revive the dead. Right. So uh, in that scene, 
We might well have expected the Catholic monk fellow, the priest, to have sort of gone quick, quick uh, prayer, last rites, and maybe mention a saint or two. And then suddenly, if he'd come back to life, that would have been God sort of getting involved and going, no, I like this lad, he can have another day. Nice. The fact that they went straight to must be Satan uh, leads me to believe that they've already had several Satans uh, that week alone, probably. Mm. And they're like, oh, not another one. I'm so <laughs> bored of these Satans. Uh, you know, just this week we had a you know a pig that was uh, satanically corrupted. Yeah, I mean, how would they define it if it was Satan? Would he start behaving bad? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously you have classic witch trials and so on. Familiars, uh, familiars, exactly. So if he's got I a like pet, the word familiar. It's a nice yeah. word. Yeah. Uh, although in this context, bad word. So if mm. he's got a pet cat, he's definitely a witch. And uh, you can have male witches too, as well, which is really? something people don't Weren't know. Were they warlocks? No, no male That's witches. You're supposed to say no. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't wasn't keeping up with you. Uh, Yes, witches could be male or female. Right. And, uh, and were they subject to the same trials? Hmm. hmm. Depending on the different countries. And they were always unfair, weren't they, Greg? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you could... There were some people who were tried for witchcraft and were found to be, you know, not, not burnable but, or hangable. Was it, was, it, was it a myth that they were put dunked in water and if they didn't drown, they were a witch? No, that happened. I mean, right. uh, the python were fairly, <laughs> fairly good in their research. Um, yeah. Uh, what's interesting is in Scotland they did burn them um, in England they were hanged um, so the fact that they want to burn him at the stake is true so well done research team so Python were wrong because well it depends because Python was setting in England and yeah. uh, they're burning the witch mm, it's tricky but they, also, might have, they might have heard about the Scottish people doing true. it. True. Also, Python set their film in like the 6th century. So, mm. you know, that's a thousand years before. So it was all over the place. Ah, it's really... It's a smorgasbord. It's really not great. But anyway, uh, mm. they are clearly upset at the idea that their lovely, beloved Connor is going to survive. And so the first thing they do is go, right, well, we better set fire to him, mm. which is harsh. But James Cosmo, who's the only Scotsman in this takes pity on him. He does. Oh, we should say, before all that happens, he's questioned by the police. Oh, yeah, sorry. And then he says, uh, Garfield, who we were talking about earlier, says, yes. you talk funny, Nash, where are you from? And he says, lots of different places. <laughs> and I put none of them Scotland. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then he says, uh, are you a homo, Nash? Oh, yeah. And then Nash says, why, do you want a blowjob? He says, what's the matter, Garfield? You're kissing for a piece of ass? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, it's a delightful accent. And then they have a punch-up. Yeah. They, I love the fact that he throws a couple of punches, kicks over a table, yeah. and then says, am I under arrest? Yeah. And the cops go, nope. Nope. He goes, well, I'm <laughs> Fine. <leaving> then. <laughs> like, but you just assaulted a policeman. You just punched at least two police officers. Yeah. But no, that's fine. That's fine in the 80s. And then we see a, a little brief moment of the Kurgan who's on the way to New York. And I should point out to this, if, if you're a, a fan of the Kurgan... Mm. Uh, he is the voice of Mr. Crab from SpongeBob SquarePants. No, yeah, <gasps> that's a huge bit of casting. Yeah, he was also in the Shawshank Redemption as the evil guard. I think you're going to say as a crab, not as a crab. <laughs> He's Mr. Crab from the Shawshank. Mr. Uh, the Shawshank SquarePants movie. Uh, from SpongeBob. Yeah, uh, and that's I forgot a... his name. And that's really annoying because I. Uh, his name is Clancy. Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown. Thank you. Yes, he's in lots of things, but primarily he's Mr. Crab and the evil guard from the Shawshank. But mainly he is the Kurgan. He is the Kurgan. And they are a sort of elite warrior from sort of Eastern Europe. Or We're led to believe that, but he's the only one we see. Aren't they sort of Mongolian or something? Doesn't, doesn't the film allude to their sort of Eastern tribe Greg, you're the historian. I know, I wasn't really paying attention. I think he was meant to be Mongolian. We only see him. It yeah. would be better if there was like a clan of Kurgans. Yeah. Because I assumed his name was the Kurgan, but I think he's supposed to be of the Kurgan. No, he's a, it's a Kurg, as in Kurgan, 
Kyrgyzstan, but like some sort of Kyrgyzstan. American accents. I don't know. I mean, mm. he's clearly picked up his accent from listening to. Because obviously, American accents are supposed Cowboy to derive from Cornwall, isn't it, or Plymouth? Cornwall, ah, it's really complicated. I don't have time. But no, we're not going to go into it now. I'm just saying, <laughs> would the the Kyrgyz accent maybe in Kyrgyzstan, where he's from, or something? I'm assuming he's yeah, Kyrgyz or he's from Kyrgyz Kyrgyzland. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean. That is technically a sort of... He's a baritone. Yeah, but mm. Kyrgyzstan is sort of more Turkish in its uh, language, but it's also sort of Mongolian in its ethnicity. I don't think he's particularly... I think probably they heard Clancy Brown talk and thought, that's a good evil voice. It is a good evil voice. Yeah. He's got a really good rasp. He's really sort of like... <laughs> like Apparently that. he wasn't happy. He didn't like the direction they made him do it. Oh, know. what was... Was he going for something sympathetic? I don't know, in the, in the, uh, the Blu-ray I've got, which is the 30th anniversary Blu-ray... Mm. Which I bought especially for this episode, yes, and uh, thank the, you. the extras. Oh, you're welcome. The extras are quite disappointing. It's just two uh, people who are not really exciting talking about the film. You want Lambert and Clancy Brown, and oh, Connery, yeah. but they're not in it. Oh. And uh, they talk about how Clancy Brown wasn't particularly happy with the direction they made him take the Kurgan in, in him being a tongue flicking weirdo dressed like a punk. What do they want? What, what was his? I guess he wanted a more classical villain. Oh, lovely. Yeah, like a... Gliding across the stage. Yeah. Enunciating. I can see his point, because this has been directed by a music video, 80s music video director, yeah. who's clearly been like, well, I want him to dress like he's in a Duran Duran video, with yeah. the leathers and the weird, um, you know, like, metal rings all over him and tassels and... But I think he'd done a couple of Sex Pistols videos as well, I think, the director, so I'm yes. guessing he probably... He also did Derek and Clive Get the Horn. Really? Yeah. Oh, so he knows his comedy then. Yeah. And yeah. Razorback. Uh, so he had an interesting career, yeah. and then... And then just suddenly... Just, well, what killed him was the sequel. Did he do the sequel? Mm. Oh, and it's bad, is it? It's... Well, I'll tell you about it. We haven't got all time right, to okay, get into it. All right, sorry. In much the same way, we can't get into American accents here. <laughs> Highlander 2 is another conversation altogether. Um, so, yeah, so Nash goes away, and uh, Kurgan goes to New York, and then he brings out his sword in his suitcase, which yeah. is stupid. Yeah, but, I mean, what a lovely sword it is. Cause it it's... is, but surely, would it have the same kind of... Um, I can't think of words today. Okay. You know when something is solid, yes. it has strength. Yes. When something is built integrity, by Integrity, yeah. Thank you, that's the yeah. word I meant. Would it have the same integrity if it's built I've by never seen a tripartite sword before. No. The idea of snapping in... Rifles make sense because they're there to fire a bullet. Precisely that. And but I think, I reckon that's probably what the director was thinking was like, hey, wouldn't it be cool? Mm. You know those scenes where the sniper gets into the hotel room mm. and takes out a small bag, but in the bag is a very big gun that he assembles bit by bit? Yeah. What if you did that with a sword? Mm. And I imagine someone in production went, but uh, swords don't work like that. It reminded me of, there's a goodies episode called Snow White 2. Okay, this right. is a weird segue. I'm looking forward to this. Well, there's a bit where they find out that three of the seven dwarves are Bill Oddie, Graham Gardner, Tim Brooke Taylor. They're not really dwarves. Okay. They take them to the woods to kill them, and the executioner is a, is a dwarf, and he opens his suitcase, and he starts building this implement, and you think it's going to be a gun, and it turns out it's just a very long axe. And when he tries to wield it, it's too heavy, and he falls over. Aww. That's what I was thinking with the Kirk in here, because he's got this giant fucking sword that he's built in three parts. And it just, integrity-wise, I don't think it would stand the test no. against the sword we later see, what we've seen earlier, is this ancient Japanese, who didn't exist, uh, katana. Yeah, I mean, a beautiful, beautiful katana. But, in fairness to him, he can do some quite cool, nifty sword tricks. He does a spinny thing, mm. where he spins it from the inside of his right arm, across his chest, onto the inside of his left arm, and back again. And yeah. that's, that's quite clever. I like that. And he that. meets Candy. Candy, and she says, hi, I'm Candy. And he says... Of course you are! Yeah, that must be a Connery reference. Do you think? Yeah. 
Because in the Diamonds Are Forever, she says, I'm plenty. And he says, oh, but of course you are. Oh, yeah. oh, that's nice. Yeah. God, you should do a Bond podcast. I should, shouldn't You'd I? be really good at that. I should stop wasting my time with Highland, I shouldn't I? I don't know what you're doing. No. Hi, I'm Julia Rayside, and I'd like to invite you aboard my podcast. Always There is the only podcast to navigate through every single episode in order of the 1980s seafaring soap opera, Howard's Way. I mean, if we're talking lacquer, we need to go back to Polly, who's got 28 cans of Elmet. Dawn. It was definitely um, yeah. feeling horrible that you hadn't done your homework. Yeah. Obviously, Lynn is immediately in a bikini. It's, it's a freezing day in, I'm guessing, I was February. I that swing pool looks f***ing freezing. You don't have to love Howard's Way or even remember it. We're going to talk about it anyway, because I think it's brilliant. Jack still feels very much at sea. I can't help reaching for these puns. I'm so yeah, sorry. No, it's important. He doesn't really acknowledge how grave... What an ocean of trouble Thank you. It is. This is why we got you on your there bloody you see. That's all I've got. I'm leaving now. Available from your usual podcast supplier. Find us on Twitter at AlwaysTherePod. Somebody's nicked my bloody boat. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, so then Brenda analyzes the metal fragments yeah. that she's found. Because there was a moment in the sword fight where Connor's sword goes into a wall. Yes. She it's... digs out the fragments. She, and, and she puts uh, it in her mass spectrometer. That's or, right. Or some, I can't say that word, mass spectrometer? I wouldn't have even said that. I don't know. She machine. puts it in a machine. Yeah. She pushes a button and it goes, yeah. and then it comes out and says, this sword is really old. Yeah. And she goes, that can't be right. That's right. So she goes back to the garage. Yes. And McLeod's there at the same time watching her. Yeah, weird. Which is weird. And then she goes into a bar and he comes in and he says, uh, have you been to Madison Square Garden lately? For the wrestling, yeah. for the basketball, for the two guys fighting with swords, for the other things that are Americans that, that I, I cannot think of. I was one of them. 
And um, and then he says, I'd really like to walk you home, Brenda. Mm. Which is really creepy. He's really creepy. I mean, he's a good-looking man. but he's... He looks he looks shit with his hair down. Yeah. When he slicks it back in those few scenes, he is stunning. And he's, a, he's a beautiful man, mm. but he's wearing like this weird get-up. He's got white trainers. Deodoras as well. Oh, Bad yeah. form. And then like the blue jeans that are too long, and so mm. they sort of sag around his ankles. And yeah. then this very large raincoat that Trench doesn't, coat. doesn't really fit him, though. It's just no. too big. Yeah. And he looks a bit creepy. Yeah, he does. And then, as you say... He's supposed to be a rich man, isn't he? Well, he's super rich, we yeah. discover later on, but in yeah. this pickup line, he's like, hey, I'd like to walk you home, but, like, he's wearing the clothes of a killer. Yeah, so. and then she, she... She leaves, and then she waits behind as he leaves, and she follows him. And then he has a brief fight with the Kurgan. Yeah, the Kurgan appears out of nowhere. Says, ha. So how is the Kurgan hunting? I mean, so this is the thing I, I immediately... I'm guessing he kind of senses... Right. Other high, or not, they're not Highlanders, other, other, other immortals. Yes. And he tries okay. to fight with um, McLeod... And then Brenda intervenes. And then a helicopter comes down. A police helicopter. Yeah, and it goes, hey, what are you doing? And then they run away, and then it just gives up and flies off. Yeah, because in You've the 80s... two people fighting with swords. Yeah, I mean, in the well, 80s, one no one has sword. guns, apparently, no. which is, you know, commendable. This entire film is just sword-based. NRA would hate this film. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's not true. There is a machine gun later on. Oh, yeah, when they run off, the helicopter says, hey, come back, and then doesn't follow them. I mean, you know... Rubbish. That is standard policing protocol. You ask them to return, they say no, and you say, well, I did all I can. Yeah. And then Connor tells Brenda to go away, basically, and then we cut back to 1536, and the whole village, as we were mentioning earlier, think McLean, McLeod is a devil, because he yep. survived, and she said, he's in league with Lucifer. And, and then Connor says, we've been clansmen for 20 years, in his French accent. <laughs> and, um, and then they banish him, basically. Yeah. And he walks up the hill, looks back at the village, and thinks... Mm. Yeah, he doesn't seem particularly fussed. I mean, he's, he's been beaten up. He's got that kind of stocky thing. What's it called? Yeah, they've put him in the sort of stocks. Yeah, um, and, uh, To make him look a bit like, yeah, like an ox. And then he's like, oh, I guess I'll leave. Mm. It feels like a film that's been very heavily edited down. Oh, so big time. quite a lot of important scenes are not there. Massive. I mean, edited, this film is very edited because of the way it's shot like a pop video. Yeah, exactly. but that's also the truth, isn't it? He loves quick that sort of quick-cut jump style mm. anyway, but you get the feeling there are... You get lots of weird camera angles, like it's a pop video. There's a moment... The bit where he's interrogating McLeod earlier, mm. the camera follows the actor Alan Northen, who's Ed from Police Squad, follows him in, and it kind of goes under his armpit and then looks up at the table like it's a sort of mm. um, Genesis video from the 80s. And you're like, Where, why? But also when he was arrested driving his car much too fast, nice car too, Yeah, the camera is mounted on the back of the car, shooting the back of his head, driving the car very fast. Yeah. It's a sort of weirdly exhilarating but weird shot. Like yeah. You kind of go, that's... Again, like it's a music video. Yeah. You could definitely take segments from this film and put it to a Duran Duran song and it would look great. Wild Boys probably would work, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, he did Wild Boys. Oh, well, oh. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, that's the Mad Max one. Uh, uh, and then, yeah, so modern day, Nash always wears gloves. So he's obviously got bad eczema or something. Yeah. And uh, he's got a nice flat. It's a bit like the TARDIS because it's all like it's like a big square room with things mm. laid around it. I mean, it's not just a nice flat. I mean, we're talking here about, you know, multi-million dollar penthouse. Yeah. This is a beautiful... Mm. He's, got a, he's got a girl out front. Yeah. She's sort of... Can we find out about later? Yes. I won't yeah. reveal it. And then we go back to the past. It's 1541 now. Good year. And McLeod has got his own castle. 
It's not so much a castle, is it? It's it's basically a vertical tower. It's huge. It's Did very very it? big. I don't know. Who, I don't know who's built it. I'm I also ask you this question: In those mm. days, if you were banished from a village, yes, could you just wander around looking for a spare castle and then take it? But, I mean, obviously, I I don't. I wasn't there. No. But no. You've read the books, though. Come Generally on. speaking, castles had people who quite liked owning them mm. and were quite keen to keep owning them. So really, he should be in some sort of sort of small cottage. That I, he's built. I imagined him in some sort of underground. Warren, mm. like some sort of creature. Later on, he has a cottage. Yeah, when, when uh, his his dear Heather mm. uh, passes away, he burns it down. Yes, that's what he should be in, rather than a giant castle. No, because they were thinking of the set piece. Yeah, for they later they on. wanted something exciting to blow up, grand, and so they put him in this rather majestic tower. Mm. It's quite Lord of the Ringsy. It is a bit, and uh, he's there with his lovely Heather. Although he Heather. keeps calling her Blossom. Oh, my Blossom. But he's not yeah. doing the accent. He's calling it a blossom. No, and they, they go, they're in a castle and they decide to have sex on a hill. Yes. And just as they've finished their practice, one Sanchez Villalobos Ramirez arrives on a horse. Yes. I mean, it's an extraordinary He says, I'm chief methodologist to the King Charles V of Spain. Yes. And he is wearing essentially a dead peacock mm-hmm. and an awful lot of red velour. He looks beautiful. And a pearl earring. Pearl earring. He's got a sort of really lovely sort of Spanish goatee mm. going on. And a Scottish accent. Scottish accent. The second Scottish accent to be in this film. <laughs> playing legit. Well, we find out later. He keeps calling him a Spaniard. Yeah. Spanish peacock. Spanish says, peacock. Not, he says, how many times do I have to tell you I'm not Spanish, I'm Egyptian? Yes. I mean, it's a remarkable <laughs> piece of acting. Uh, he really, I really... I mean, people talk about it all the time, and it is a bit of a cliche, but fucking hell. It's brilliant. I French love it. Frenchman playing a Scotsman, Scotsman playing an Egyptian. I, I love the logic of it. I love the fact that the director found Christophe Lambert in a magazine mm-hmm. and went, he looks like a good actor. <laughs> Literally, like, well, he'd a photo of his the, um, face. He'd done Tarzan or something. Yes, and he'd also done some films for... Oh, God, I'm shit with names today. You know the guy who did Leon the Professional and The Fifth Element? Oh, really? Um, he'd done the film called Subway. Ah. Which was fairly well received. Luke Best. Thanks, Luke Besson. Besson. But yeah. oh, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. But like to cast someone who you've not even like spoken to as a human, yeah. And then when they arrive, they don't speak any English. They're blind and French. Blind, <laughs> short-sighted. Yeah. French speaks no English, yeah. and to think, here's my leading man. That's what I need. Mm. I mean, it's a very bold. I, I applaud it. Frankly, I think controversially, he does well. I think he does fantastically well, yeah. given where he starts. I mean. to Basically, to learn a language mm. in, what, six months or something. Yeah. Really impressive. Um, and not only that, but sometimes sound a tiny bit Scottish. He almost pulls almost. off. Almost. I think that's impressive. If you've said to me, you've got six months to make a French film. Yes. I wouldn't be able to do it. Every ninth syllable is almost Scottish. It, like, it's almost like he's learnt it by rote. My, like, every line fashion. of my film will be Je m'appelle. <laughs> <laughs> Je m'appelle Jean Plou. That's all I'd say. <laughs> Le Sanchez sous le Yeah, yeah absolutely. Jean-Paul I'm it. half French, so I, I, ah. I would probably be able to do that slightly easier. But so you've got a double perspective on this history <sighs> and French. I know, I know. And I, I applaud Christophe Lambert for his outrageously heroic effort in trying mm. to sound Scottish and speak English while. There should have been a scene in this. You know, he's jumping around history. There should have been a scene when he was in France. Mm. Just to say to him, Go have at you. <laughs> Do your French. I know. I mean, we're wonderful. Laugh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, they keep forcing him to English scenes. I'd have done that. Yeah. I'd definitely so. said, there's a scene where you're working with Napoleon. Yes. Can I also just point out, mm. Sean Connery's pronunciation of greetings is one of my favourite things I've ever, I've ever he heard. He doesn't say greetings. He says, greetings! <laughs> like that. Like, all the stress on the ings. Like... Like no one in the world does. He exudes confidence in this, doesn't he's he? He's really happy. Yeah. He's having a lovely time. I bet he got paid a lot. I think he probably got paid 
like all of the film budget because he had to go to Scotland. I think they shot it in Scotland, Glencoe, I think. Yeah, which is a very beautiful part I mean, of the world. He loves Scotland though, so he's probably quite happy about that. Yeah, I imagine his, that was a convincing argument for he him. He famously he got paid a lot to do, come back to do Diamonds Are Forever, mm. and he famously gave pretty much the entire fee to the Scottish Arts Council. Did he? Yeah, good for him. I think it was like at the time. I think I think they gave him a million dollars, which at the time was unheard of. Yeah, hefty. And he pretty much gave the whole lot to Scotland. Wow. So he's very committed to it. So I'd imagine when he found out they were shooting in Scotland and it was a Scottish story, he probably thought, I'll be there with Belgium. Yeah, it's called a Highlander. It's called a Highlander. Okay. You're a mortal, damn you. I'll get there later. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, so he's chief metallurgist to King Charles V of Spain. MacLeod says, Heather, go to the house. It's a castle, mate. Yeah. It's not a house, is I it? I know. He's, but he's short-sighted, though, isn't he? So and can't... then he says, we are the shame, MacLeod. We are brothers. We are brothers. Except he doesn't say we are brothers, he says, we are brothers! Oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, Which is, yeah. again, it echoes for all eternity. Totally unnecessary. Yeah. I love it. And then it comes to modern day, and Brenda goes to lunch with. Um, well, she said she's going to go to lunch with Frank, who's the police officer. Yes. But she says, oh, I forgot my handbag. It's yeah. just so she can look at McLeod's file. She's clever, that. She's like a police genius. And then we see McLeod has got Brenda's book about metallurgy. Yeah, I love that. So he's got a huge book. Mm. It's not just about metallurgy, it's about swords. Yeah. And it's called A Metallurgical History of Sword Making. Yeah. They, it's almost like the prop department couldn't think of a better title. For... <laughs> it should have been called Swords and Broads. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Or Swords Abroad. So, oh, yeah. 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 Swords of Yore. I don't know. Yeah. I need to, we need to hurry up. I mean, you've got 20 minutes. That's right. We're fine. Keep yeah. going. Right. But we've got, um, yeah, she's basically written a huge book on swords. Mm. And that's quite handy because this is a film about swords. Yeah. I mean, amazing. What are the chances? What are the chances? What are the chances? Yeah. I don't know. And then we cut back to the past, and Connery and McLeod <clears> are on a boat, and that's where we get the classic line where McLeod says to him, Stop rocking the boat. You look like a woman, you silly haggis. Yes. Haggish? Watch haggish. It's sheep's stomach stuffed with barley and oats. Yeah. And what do you do with it? You eat it. That sounds revolting. Yeah. Except that's how a normal person would pronounce it. Yeah. Neither of them have gone for the normal pronunciation. That's what the intonation yeah. is almost robotic and it's joyous. Like yeah. it's, and also he's, he's, he starts with the line saying, I don't like boats. I don't like water. I'm a man, not a fish. Oh, yeah, Which yeah. is a great way in. Mm. And then as you say, there's a kind of extraordinary, it's like they're reading it off a piece of paper that's yes. been handed to them in the boat. Because yeah. neither of them are saying it like a human. Mm. They're saying it like they've processed these things syllabically it's just it's wonderful yeah and that's where, as I mentioned earlier he says to him I, I keep telling you I'm not Spanish I'm Egyptian which I've written here is the line of the 20th century yeah I mean it's a gorgeous delivery line. and everything because it's so incongruous oh also Sean has a brilliant sneeze mm. totally unneeded and and also wonderfully too close to the word revolting mm. so he goes how revolting achoo like literally like that like there's no space between the two things there's not like a moment where he goes oh I think I might need to sneeze huh? achoo he literally just it's almost like he's put a hyphen between those two sounds in the script and gone yeah I'll just do that as one he's probably really happy with that improv to be honest it's a lovely it's a lovely thing but then we find out this is a very long winded way of finding out or well, MacLeod finding out that he's immortal he can't drown he can't die I know and he tells MacLeod about the Kurgan and it's really bad if he becomes the last immortal he tells him about the gathering and then they have a training montage, and he basically says that um, if, if your head comes off, that's it. Yeah, which I think is standard advice for any person. It seems to be the obsession with human nature generally. Yeah. Cut the head off, that's it. I'd, I'd say all health and safety basically should have that. Mm. Probably number one. Mm. At least top five. You kill a zombie by getting rid of the brain, don't mm. you? I know you're not a... 
Zombieist. N- not my specialist area. Because they don't exist as a thing. Well, probably... weirdly enough, in the 13th century, there was a thing called Revenants, and mm. uh, it was believed that, that that's where the origins of sort of zombieism and vampires comes from. Really? There was a genuine belief in the medieval culture that people could sort of stagger out of the grave and drink the blood. So uh, there were medieval zombies. Revenants. Wow. Look it up. It's good fun. Revenants. Mm. This is brilliant. This is the best one ever, this one. Um, so then, basically, to cut a long story short... McLeod goes out somewhere, we don't know where, and Connery's having dinner with um, darling Heather, my bonnie, and uh, the curtain comes. Oh, there's just one bit, sorry. Oh, go on. Go on. There's, a bit, there's a line, he says, uh, you're only safe on holy ground. Oh, yeah. None yeah. of this will violate this sacred law. It's yep. tradition. Mm. Uh, which means that uh, they can both be in a church later on, and the curtain can't remove his head. Yes. So that's an important bit. There's also an important line, which I've written down here, which I've got to say, is when Connery, much like in The Untouchables, when he thinks... Oh, I'm playing an Irishman. I'll say, "Oh, look at the heathen." Even though he's doing a Scottish accent, he thinks, "Oh, I'm a Spaniard who's an Egyptian." So he says, "Now, Bendejo, shall we start? Shall we see what kind of shortman you have become?" Yes, and Bendejo. A Bendejo, and there's a really lovely bit where there's a there's a Rocky Three beach running montage. There is very nice. Yeah, and then there's also the bit where he says, "You can't have a family, MacLeod." Mm. Uh, we cannot have children. I must leave our brother. All that sort of you classic are a stuff. Jaffa. You are exactly that. Yeah. And also, I'm 2,400 years old, mm. which is really quite old. I've had three wives, yeah. and when they died, I was really sad. Mm. Don't get a wife. Uh, mm. And also, uh, my wife was Japanese, and her dad gave me a sword. Oh, yes, this is important. 541 BC, mm. he made it, and that's stupidly old for a sword. And what, where was Japan in 500 months? <laughs> Not Japan, I can tell you that much. No. Also, 541 BC is, well, I mean, it's the Iron Age, but it's, you know, it, there are no swords of that quality being produced at that time. Irony age, more like. <sighs> yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised Brenda is upset when she sees that uh, mass spread. Spectrum. Damn it! I've said it again. Yeah, that the machine, machine. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh, she's like, well, that doesn't, that can't make sense. Hmm. So this very old sword is, um, is just wrong. But you know, whatever. So, and so Kurgan attacks McLeod. Oh, sorry, Ramirez. Yes. And cuts off his head. Well, it's a lovely fight. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's. I mean, you can see that lots of polystyrene falling over. Basically. Well, the castle is clearly <coughs> clearly built from the cheapest materials available. Yeah. Uh, and also, this is the scene uh, famously where the, uh, Clancy almost decapitates Sean Connery for real mm. uh, when his sword fractures. And uh, and he looks a bit like Jonathan Creek in here, the Kurgan. He's got this big <laughs> black wig that doesn't really suit his head. Yeah, I wonder if the stunt doubles get involved quite a lot too, because mm. I think maybe Sean might have gone, uh, I'm not doing this anymore. I nearly died. Well, there's that scene where you were talking about the Rocky montage where they're on top of that cliff and you can clearly see it's neither <laughs> yes. Sean Connery nor Christopher Lambert on top of the cliff. Understandable. Yeah, of course. I mean, the, if it's one of those very slips, high up. yeah, it's really high up. Yeah. Um, but I think Sean might have. Sort of and Crystal Lamb is going to slip, isn't he? You can't see. Uh, this. I mean, again, who cast a blind Frenchman in this film? Russell Mahaghi. Uh, honestly, yeah. terrible. It's a really nice fight scene. The mm. castle falls apart around them. Sean gets the upper hand, but obviously the Kurgan is just sort of a killing machine. Well, because Sean stabs the Kurgan. Yeah. Which is a bit stupid because we know they can't be killed. They can feel pain, though. So, yeah, you know, true. We do see them feel pain. Poking him is a... Is and then he stabs Sean. Yeah. And then he cuts his head off. Yeah. It's a very sad moment. Sean spits in his face, though. He does. Yeah. And Sean comes back for the sequel, but we'll get into that later. Really? Yeah, I'll tell you off air. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, so Ramirez is dead, and the Kurgan uh, falls off the top of the tower, and Heather's all like, oh, good, and then he comes back to life mm. and grabs Heather, but we find out about that later. Yeah. And then we go to the modern day. Brenda goes to see McLeod. 
uh, Rachel is his secretary. Yes. Uh, he saved her during World War Two, and we get the flashback. Yeah. With Hugh Dennis as a Nazi, and the line, "It's a kind of magic." Yes. I like that bit. Yeah. Basically, the Nazi gets shot. He says, "Whatever you say, you are the missed master race, Jack." That's it. Yeah. Nice line. Yes. And then shoots yeah. him. Shoots a Nazi. That feels like a sort of wish fulfillment. I want to shoot a Nazi in a film moment for the director. I'm a Frenchman. I like to shoot a Nazi. Yeah, and it feels like everyone involved's gone. Can we just cast a Nazi for like Why aren't forty the seconds? About shooting Nazis. I know. So that was that feels like they've sort of ticked that box. But um, I like that moment that, that um, Rachel is his secretary and she's someone he saved in the past. That's quite a nice. Yeah, and that she fancies him. And that bit is cut out of the American version. Is it? Which is why when Americans watch this film, they went, "What is happening? Why is this blonde woman?" Sort really? Of Why so did they cut out? Apparently, like loads of stuff got cut out, and that one bit was cut out, and it meant the film made no sense well, to that Americans. Gives a lot of background to McLeod, you know. Well, yeah, kind of like, and also to Rachel person. and yeah. the fact that she's not remotely sort of, you know, baffled by the fact that she's this kind of more of his daughter than yeah, anything else. Exactly. It yeah. just it makes so much sense. It's I think just, it's a nice touch. I do too. But uh, he goes to Brenda's house for dinner, and she puts a tape recorder in a wooden box, which isn't going to record anything. No, and he finds it anyway. And he find, and she puts a gun, a loaded gun, and he yeah. finds that as well. And he's a brandy bore. He's like, this is a really old brandy, it's really good, it's from 1783. Yes. And he tells her about it's the American independence, mm-hmm. and, you know, your yes. neck of the woods. Absolutely. And um, he then reveals to her that he knows exactly who she is. He's got her book. I mean, he's, he loves her book. He's he been thumbing it. it hard. Yeah. Not like that. <laughs> and he's, he found a gun and tape recorder, and he says, you know, you're just a police set up trying to frame me. Yeah. Not frame him, because we know he done the murder. <laughs> yes. It's not like he Trying to catch it. me. It's not like he's the fugitive. <laughs> it was a one-armed man. No, it was actually you. We saw you do it. Um, and then we jump back to... The, uh, she's, she's basically after the sword, because she's, it's the oldest sword she's ever seen ever. Yeah. And she wants to have a go at it, which is an- another metaphor for his penis. It basically is. It's the it? oldest penis she'd yes. have ever seen. She's a woman who studies swords slash penises, yeah. and she really wants to try his sword slash penis. Because his penis technically is an antique. <sighs> yes. The interesting thing, I suppose, you know, he's very old now, mm. but presumably he's still in fine working condition. He seems to be. I mean, I can't, imagine, I can't imagine he's got sort of age-related, you know, problems downstairs. I imagine he's in peak physical fitness. Oh, yeah. He might have so. a bit of arthritis or something, mm. maybe. But that's the that's the worry, isn't it? Mm. That after that long, you probably just your toes must hurt. Well, in the sequel, we get this all explained. Oh God! Yeah. Um, so let me check check back to the past quickly. We get a slowed down version of the montage from Up mm-hmm. with Bonnie Heather growing old. This is a nice scene. Mm. Who wants to live forever? Yeah, and that was written apparently when he saw the scene when they oh. apparently apparently Queen saw the sort of 20 minutes of footage and went, oh, this is good, I like this, we'll mm. all write a song each. So I think It's a Kind of Magic is Roger Taylor, I think. Yeah. Uh, Freddie writes, I think maybe Prince of Darkness, Prince of the Universe, sorry. Mm-hmm. And then I think Brian May writes Who Wants to Live Forever. Oh, really? I think, I'm not yeah. sure, don't quote me on that, but I think the three of them wrote a song each and this moment sort of stirred Brian May's heart. You know, he loves badgers, he loves space, and he loves... Timeless love space tragedies, <laughs> space matches. Uh, he, he loves stories of, of you know men refusing to age while their loved ones age in front of them and then wither and die. To Anita Dobson, yeah, probably. Anita, my bonnie Anita, <laughs> who wants to live? Uh, but it's it's a really powerful scene because it actually yeah. lends an emotional heart to the whole film. Because otherwise, you've essentially got a film about a bloke just running around. She's a bit needy though because she says, "After I've dead, you light a candle on my birthday every year." I wouldn't say that's needy. I just say that's. Do you think? Yeah, I'd be like, once no, a year, you're, you're dead. <laughs> you're not I mean, that. that's fairly hard. She should say, "Go and enjoy yourself. Don't right. worry about me. I'm dead." 
Sure, but she's a Catholic, and this is the 16th century, so she very much believes in the power of prayer. So, you know, so what he does, which is quite a nice, touching thing, I think, because McLeod, because Ramirez is dead. Yes, he takes on his sword. Mm. He leaves the McLeod, Clown McLeod sword in the ground. He does. And he burns down their cottage and buries her. Exactly. He so he leaves that life behind. He kills that identity. Yeah, he I like now. that bit. Yeah, I thought that was really powerful. Mm. And I think it gives the film a sort of emotional heft. What this film needed, rather than... Well, I don't know, I'm probably wrong, but I want to see more of his adventures through time. Yeah, so, I, mean, I think that's probably where the sort of TV show could be quite fun. Mm. If, I, I assume there is a Highlander TV show. There was a Highlander TV show, okay. but it was based in modern day and it wasn't very interesting. Oh, well, that's boring. Yeah. It, should, it should really be... You know, and it wasn't Christopher Lambert either. Oh, man. Mm. Well, that's no Although fun. he did do a few sequels and they were terrible. Okay, so maybe yeah. maybe everyone realised that. I think we got the best version here, but yeah. they could have done better with it. This feels like a good film with mm. some weird bits in it, but enjoyable weird bits. Yeah. And everything else is probably too much of an overreach. So then we meet um, another immortal, played by the actor Hugh Quashy. Yeah. From K- Holby City. Yeah, I was going to say... Star I, Wars The Phantom Menace. Uh, it felt Star Warsy, didn't it? Yeah. It's like, oh, and uh, we're basically fine. It's framed like they're going to have a big fight, but actually they're really good friends. They meet on a bridge. They know there's the gathering. Yeah, yes. They meet on the bridge in Central Park. They do. And they have like a sort of like, ah, you're here at last. And then mm. they're like, friend, friend. Yay, let's have a drink. And then they have a very brief, like, do you remember that fun time in 1783? Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a thing where Sunder is not there at all, <laughs> which is weird, because yeah. I expected like a fun bromance moment you know like some sort of hilarious anecdote where the mm-hmm. two of them are like you know running through the streets of Paris and they've nicked a horse yeah. no Sunder's not there it's nope. just a very drunk Christophe Lambert it's a duelist's piss take isn't it where they're it kind is. of like having, he's having a duel with a man with a sword and he keeps stabbing him yeah the man it's with the sword Mr Bassett it's like a skit it doesn't belong in this film at it's all. It's like a Python thing. Yeah. With a weird end as well, where Bassett gets bored of stabbing Christophe Lambert. Lambert's like, right, I'm going, I'll see you later. Yeah, he says basically, I'm sorry, I insult, I called your wife a fat warthog. Yes. And then he walks off and then... And then Bassett shoots his second, who yeah. is an annoying, obsequious sycophant. Yeah. And in fairness, deserves to be shot. But, but why not make that bit all in French for Lambert to exactly. say, I am a Frenchman. I know, but they've set it in Boston. Yeah. Makes weird. no sense. Doesn't make any sense. No. And also... You know, without wishing to be racial about it, Sunder Castigier is a black man. Yeah. In 1783, he'd be enslaved. Mm. This, is a, this is a complicated, interesting story they could have told. They could have told the story of slavery and freedom and liberty and revolution, but they haven't. They've just done. They've gone with like, oh, we'll just have a fun, silly little fight sequence. Also, you mentioned earlier there's a scene they cut out for the Americans. Why the fuck's this in there? <laughs> What's this doing in there? Yes, it is a really stupid scene, but I quite enjoy Christophe Lambert playing the sort yes. of fool. He does good comedy. He is, he's quite funny at the Pratt Falling. He didn't get used a lot for it. No. But I think he's quite good at it. Well, he seems to quite enjoy just sort of walking into the stabbings as well and going, mm. oh, you got me again. Yeah. Which is nice. But um, So then Kurgan leaves his hotel and then he's still... And then he's, uh, he's having a fight with uh, the chap from the bridge. Yes. Sunder. And, yeah, and a, a, a sort of uh, archetypal American turns up with a car full of guns. Yes. And decides to shoot the Kurgan. And then the Kurgan kebabs him. Yeah, so Sunder's been killed yeah. and had his quickening, yeah. vanished in the air. Yeah. The, the mad sort of paranoid ex-Vietnam vet with a trunk load of machine guns, apparently. Mm. Trump voter. Clearly. Yeah. Uh, basically just unloads an entire clip into the Kurgan. The Kurgan gets up and, I mean, Kebabim is literally, that's literally the thing, isn't it? That would kill you, by the way. Lifts him in the air. Big time. He's probably broken his spine. Yeah. Probably severed all his nerves. Like, vital organs. Yeah. Several of them. But he's later Spleen, on in the hospital kidney. bed, sitting up with a bandage over his <laughs> yeah. tummy. Going, ow. Yeah. That was quite painful. Yeah. yeah Unless he might be an immortal. 
<gasps> he's in league with Lucifer. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Okay, he's in league with Lucifer. Goodness me. Yeah. Yeah, and from that, the police get a ID. Yeah. So they now... They well, they now think know. it's from a cloud. They say, is it mm. him? And he says, no, this guy had a cut throat. Oh, we, yeah. meant, we meant to say that Kurgan's got a slit throat yes. scar, which which was what Ramirez gave him. Ramirez gave him a slit throat scar. It's a really... It's a weird scene, but I quite liked it, and it felt very New York 1986. And also, yes, it did. Well, again, like a pop video. Didn't yeah, it? it did. I mean, Robert Palmer should have stepped out with a saxophone <laughs> during it, and someone should have said, "No, get back! You're doing the next scene." Um, yeah. So then Brenda goes to see an expert who confirms via some bizarre science. The cloud's been around for thousands of years. And also the expert has a fantastic moustache. Yes, he and does. And really lovely knitwear. I didn't understand this because there's, there's a list of names McLeod's had, right? Yeah. The bottom of which says Russell, Russell Nash. Yeah. And then he gets this uh, sum to spell out the word Russell Nash. And I'm like, but the bottom name says Russell Nash. It's but... a handwriting analysis machine. But it doesn't make any sense. I know, but it, it basically goes, he's written his name over and over and over since 1700. This man's old. Mm. He takes the identities of babies. He could have had a hand transplant could have had the same handwriting. <laughs> I mean, that would have been less unlikely than the plot of this film. Uh, but anyway, so she's, she goes... Uh, so then so then we go back to what you were talking about earlier, because uh, McLeod goes to the church, which is holy ground. Yes. And has a meeting with... Uh, he lights a candle for Bonnie Heather. And for Ramirez. Yes. Yeah, and um, which suggests he's met no-one of any note for the last 400 years. <laughs> so he's met no-one of any interest. Well, you know, years. he's been lighting a candle both emotionally and physically. What if he said Bonnie Heather Ramirez and that guy Steve I once met, he was <laughs> yeah. quite nice. Maybe, maybe in the 19th century he mm. had a sort of thing with Oscar Wilde. I mean, that would be an interesting... Again, you could go anywhere with this film Absolutely. and they haven't. I know, it's disappointing, isn't it? But the uh, Kurgan, uh, this, is, yeah. this is where the Kurgan for me steps into starting to seal the show a little bit. He's I'm, also kidnapped an old lady at this point. He right, has, yeah. and he... Uh, he Which looks like a Billy Idol video. It does. He mm. licks a priest. That's funny. Does, yeah. He says Happy Halloween to some nuns. Yeah. I mean, if Clancy's not enjoying this film, it sounds to me like maybe he didn't enjoy I the direction. He He's selling it. He's really he having a fun time. He does that kind of 80s thing of kind of going... With his tongue, like yeah. Freddy Krueger used to do. Well, that's... This film feels like a lot of other films. There are scenes, particularly when Kurgan first attacks... Um, McLeod earlier on, mm. it feels like it's from a Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. There's all these pipes with smoke coming out. Well, that's it. And the dim and then, lighting. And, and then the Rocky montage, the running on the beach, mm. uh, sort of the, the duelist joke and the sort yeah. of reference to sort of Kubrick stuff. There's quite a lot of references going on, but they're not particularly subtle. No. So they, it kind of feels like a parody almost. It does. It does. Def- tongue-in-cheek, definitely. Um, so basically... Uh, the Kurgan uh, arrives to confirm only McLeod and him remain. Yes. Uh, McLeod finds out the Kurgan uh, raped Bonnie Heather. He did, yeah, and uh, and then says, Aha, I've discovered that you were her lover, not Ramirez, and she probably loved me and my enormous, terrible penis. So <laughs> she, uh, he's obviously... As if McLeod needs more motivation to want to kill him at this I know, point. I mean... It just seems like they're over-egging it here. In fairness, I thought Kurgan was an interesting precedent to the Joker. Uh, the yeah. Heath Ledger, this is basically a sort of a willful dickhead who lives for killing, yeah. enjoys it, is having a lovely time doing it, and has no scruples or morals or any real guiding principle yeah. other than he just really likes killing other people. Mm. And that sort of sense of chaos is very Heath Ledger, Joker, blowing things up for the, the hell of it. And I thought, oh, this is quite interesting. Yeah. But, but again, they could have done more with it. Yeah, they? it felt... 
I mean, I there's a moment to... later on where they kind of toy with it, where um, McLeod's with Brenda at the zoo, <laughs> and he's hanging around in the background. Yeah. Right out of shot. For no like, reason. Well, that's quite interesting that he's yeah. tailing them. But yeah. Don't, they don't make any... I mean, it comes back later, but... Yeah. Anyway, so Brenda arrives at Nash's house, uh, office, looking for answers, and he tells... He finally confesses that he's immortal. Yep. And he asks her to stab him. Yep. I would probably not do that. No. I mean, he says, uh, I've been alive 450 years. I cannot die. I have seen all the things. And if you stab me now, I will not die. And then she's like, oh. And he's like, stab me. And then, like, they have sex. Yeah. It's yeah. a standard pickup line, yeah. I think. And then the first thing you do after having sex for the first time is think, I'll go to the zoo and look at some lions. Yeah. And what I really like is that she's holding his hand and you kind of go, oh, they're probably together. Mm. And then she has this weird line which is like, all right, we'll have a nice life. Well, she yeah. said to him, most people are afraid to die. Yeah. You're afraid to live. Yeah. Poignant. It's really powerful. Beautiful. I mean, it's really great. I mean, that should have made his head fall off. But then she says, take care of yourself. Yeah. Don't lose your head. Mm. Which suggests, like... She's not going to the fight. She's yeah. not, not really interested. I'd be like, all right, I'm worried enough. I know. And also, don't lose your head is a terrible pun. I is mean, that like an immortal's break a leg type thing? Yeah, maybe. Mm. Maybe it's like you can't see Macbeth. It's break a leg Shakespeare, isn't it? Uh, probably, yeah. I think it is. But it's certainly the Scottish play. So yeah. You can't say Hamlet. You can't um, say Macbeth. Yeah. You can't say Hamlet. Is it Hamlet or Macbeth? No, it is Macbeth. I was oh. just joking because I didn't want to say Macbeth. But maybe you can't say Hamlet. No, you made me say it. Oh, man. Sorry. We're going to fall under a train on the way home. Absolutely. Uh, so the Kurgan, as I say, was hanging around and he follows Brenda and kidnaps her. Then takes her for a really weird, this is the 1980s, drive through traffic. I thought this was fun. Now, hmm. forgive me if I am a... It's soundtrack by kind of... Yeah. Which really I, I enjoyed a lot. I watched it with my wife first time. I did that. Yeah. I know. And, yeah. and this, I watched it this morning... Uh, and again, I just sat there going, "This is why is this so interesting? Like, it's just really funny and mm. enjoyable." And she's screaming, and Kurgan's having a lovely time. He's mm. swinging the car left and right. They're playing chicken along coming traffic. There's a great soundtrack pumping, mm. and then he's screaming, "New York, New York!" Yes. And then Queen sort of fade into the mix to you. with yeah. sort of a, a kind of creepy New York, New York version that's kind of played on like a Hammond organ. Yeah, or, yeah, it's really, it's really unsettling. Kind of like that organ they get at baseball stadiums. Yeah, but they've yeah. put it through some sort of synthesizer or distortion pedal so it's mm. got a kind of crisp sharp edge to it yeah. and it's a bit scary and sinister mm. and he's sort of wide eyed I really liked it Yeah, it really worked for me no it was good um, so then basically um, he gets a call from Kurgan or he checks her answer machine doesn't he he goes to Brenda's apartment well he says goodbye yeah he gets the, he gets the call from Kurgan saying I've got you a woman That's ah. it, yeah. and then he says to Rachel his, his lady who mm. he saved from a Nazi uh, goodbye forever you always knew this day was coming which again shows a sort of softer side. Mm. Uh, it's a kind of magic, he yeah. says. Again, again, the payback from the, from um, the war. And then we're 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 now heading for our our finale. Huge sword fight, which again is shot like a music video. It's shot like several music videos. Yeah, it's shot like someone has watched Blade Runner and then gone, "What if Blade Runner was a music video?" Yeah, because it's sort of dark and moody. And, and again, when they're fighting, you expect Tina Turner to come out and go, "Steamy windows." <laughs> no, Tina. Later. <laughs> It's a ten-minute sequence. Goes on it's forever. It's really long. I've just written down huge sword fight because I can't describe that. It uh, just goes on. I'll long. try and do better. It, Go on. Moody lighting. Yeah. Electrical sparks everywhere again. Yeah. Good use of silhouette. I've gone here. Lots of water. Lots of water. Mm. Chiaroscuro. I've written. That's just because I'm proud. I can spell chiaroscuro. I like that. Uh, and I've also written fun stunts. I think that might be me trying to say that there's lots of people falling over and yep. in the water there they're are. wading through. there's a lot of dangerous stuff happening here there's mm. electricity there's water there's steam and there's large weapons and Christophe Lambert apparently can't see in front of his hand can't see so no. this is a genuinely thrilling 
I mean, anyone could die at this point. Yeah. So uh, quite good. And Brenda's sort of there wielding a pipe occasionally. Not, not very smoking fit. one. No. No. Uh, a lead pipe. Yeah. She's not sort of just sort of really high, and this is all a fever dream. And she's, it could be. She wakes up in the morning. It's like, oh my god, I had the weirdest reverie. Old swords, man. Uh, but uh, yeah, they have a big old fight, and yeah. then and then Kurgan, yeah, gets his head. Well, he doesn't get his head cut off. Well, he does, but it does it in quite a cool way. Yeah, he kind of leans his head back, and his gaping wound opens, and then all these yeah. cartoon monsters fly out. Yeah, so that was fun. So I, yeah. what I liked about that was they clearly tried to visualize. All right, what happens when you win the gathering? Mm. Because uh, the gathering is this thing apparently that's been there for thousands of years. Sean Connery is what two thousand four hundred years old when yeah. he dies in fifteen forty, mm. so he would have been like three thousand. Mm. So clearly, this there's only like one gathering every, I don't know, three thousand years with the sound yeah. of it. Yeah. Clearly, the director's gone. How do you personify this amazing moment where this three thousand year old sort of episode of Gladiators uh, on ITV yeah. uh, comes to fruition? How are we going to show it? I don't know. We'll just get some cartoonists in. Well, the same people who, by the looks of it, did the It's a Kind of Magic music video. Yeah, do you think? Same sort of cartoons going on. Yeah, it? yeah, it felt slightly Ghostbustery, but yeah, but it's sort of not as good as Ghostbusters. No, but yeah. cheaper. Yeah, cheap Ghostbusters. Sort of cartoon monsters and demons, and I presume the souls of the sort of various immortals who died so, yeah. along the way. Yeah, but you get a lovely close-up again, nice crane shot right into mm. his face, and he does that. There can yeah. be only one. Yes, which is Kurgan. Something Kurgan said earlier. Yeah, exactly. And then all the windows explode behind him. And he lifts up and starts rotating. And then he says, I know everything. I am everything. And if I was Brenda, I'd get him on a pub quiz team, ASAP. Oh, he'd be so good, wouldn't yeah, he? Yeah, you'd win every week. Oh, absolutely. You'd be like, who stars in? I know. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be really, really good. Uh, I enjoyed that. Mm. And then it sort of slightly went limp at the end. And they went yeah. They went to Scotland yeah. for no real reason. I think just so he could go, oh, I was born here. And he says, I can read minds and I'll use it for peace. <laughs> that's literally it, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I know everything. I can think what all the people are thinking. Scientists, politicians, great creators. I'll help them come together and there'll be peace. And he fixes the ozone layer in the sequel. Ah, oh, what? We'll, we'll do it. <sighs> okay. We'll do it. Uh, and then Sean comes back for a yes, cameo. he does. As a sort of forced ghost, sort of Jedi, like, I'm not dead really, mm. but I am, but I'm not. What does he say? He says, uh, be patient. Uh, you are one with all of humanity. <laughs> Use your power wisely. Yeah. Uh, also, where's my check? Yeah. <laughs> I've done seven days. I've done the poster. I think I'll use the nine iron Con- <laughs> Contractually obliged. <laughs> so uh, that's the sort of end of the film, and you kind of go, all right, and then Queen on the soundtrack, it's a kind of magic. So what, what did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I knew you would. It's fun. It's, yeah. it's got a real personality. Mm-hmm. Even though it plays like a two-hour music video, yeah. it's a good music video. It is. And... Weirdly enough, Lombard is doing his absolute best yeah. to personify a sort of human existential crisis. Mm. Uh, and there are some nice bits. I thought it was shot really nicely. Yeah. The cinematography is nice. Given that it's shot cheaply, I think. I think it wasn't a big budget thing. Yeah, I don't think it's huge. I think they've done a really nice job. And obviously Queen lifts it because, mm-hmm. you know, I love a bit of Queen. Me too. I think it's a good film. Mm. I mean, I can see why people laugh hysterically at it. And it is really funny and not always intentionally. It's brave, though, I think. Yeah. It, yeah. It, there's a bold decision every 10 minutes. Mm. And I think, fair play. Mm. Well done. You've tried to make something really distinctive. And sometimes it doesn't work. Also, it was written by a 20-year-old. Yeah. Like a film student who hadn't even graduated. He'd been to the Tower of London, saw all oh. the stuff there, and thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if someone collected those through history? Is that how he came up with it? Yeah. That's nice. And then he wrote it. Like you say, it was like his first thing he ever wrote. He also wrote Backdraft. 
Did he? Yeah, he was a fireman and he wrote Backdraft. Oh, that's, that's quite a good film. Hasn't done much stuff since. But No, but he was in the documentary I watched right, okay. the other night. Yeah. So no, I, I thought this film was fun. Mm. So when you told me there was a sequel, I thought, oh, maybe I'll watch the sequel. And then you've just told me what the sequel's about. Seeing, and now I'm terrified. It's, it's quite funny. <laughs> um, but we've reached the point of the podcast where I ask you quick fire questions. All right then. Um, so, uh, Greg Jenner. Yes. Who is the best Bond and what is the best Bond film? Oh, God, this is so tough, isn't it? I'm mm. not a massive Bond fan. No. I, I've seen them all. I really enjoy them when they're on telly. I'm not, obviously, as obsessed with Bond as a, a gentleman such as yourself. Mm. Obviously, Connery is sort of quintessential. I do like the darker Bonds. I'm not a Moore man. I find, mm. you know, despite working in comedy, I, I find Roger Moore's stick to be really hammy. So I like the sort of angrier Bonds. Uh, and I'm a fan of the, of the Craig, hmm. uh, even though he's had two quite good films and two really quite bad films. Yeah, um, I I think he's actually bringing something really interesting to it—a sort of fractured psychology, which I like. So Connery definitely, you know, is the the classic. And then give me your angry dark bonds all day long. Yeah. So what's the best Bond film for you? Mm, it's hard, isn't it? It's, that's that's the. In terms of the best film, I think From Russia With Love is definitely up there as a goodie. But the one that's de- definitive for me probably is Goldeneye. Mm. That was the one when I was a teenager and the game came out on the Nintendo 64 or whatever and we play it at my mate yep. John's house and it felt like a really exciting time and Pierce Brosnan was just cool and charming and beautiful mm-hmm. and could wield a Walther PPK and look cool and yeah. the Ruskies were bad and Sean Bean's in it. It just felt... Like they'd re-energised it, yes. and it'd come back new and Moby on the soundtrack. So I think that's sort of the one that makes me happiest. Okay, so flip side to that, for you, who is the worst Bond, and what is the worst Bond film? I mean, I think Moore is the worst, <gasps> and I know, I know you're a fan. I know you love him. Good Moore. God! And I love him as a man. I thought, yeah. I thought he was a wonderful, warm-hearted, kind soul. I just don't love the tone of them I mean there's some amazing moments there are some wonderful things you know cars driving out the sea all that I, I love that but I just don't emotionally connect so much for me Bond was always a psychologically damaged man mm-hmm. who was doing nasty things for the good of the state yeah. and variously tipped into either vengeance or sort of apathy but mm-hmm. I, didn't, I don't quite get the whole like oh I've just killed a lot of men and they'll have a martini sort of vibe so uh, I'm not a more fan. The worst one, ugh. Die Another Day or Quantum. Right, yeah, I think that's both acceptable. Um, who would you have as James Bond next? I am going to go for Chuetel Ejiofor. Oh, that's a good choice. Beautiful man. Beautiful. Right age. Beautiful voice. Beautiful voice. Yeah. Cultured, mm-hmm. learned, articulate. Funny. Funny, and yet you could see that he could he could bring a bit of gravitas to it, a bit of kind of edge little bit of uh, proper acting, uh, but also could probably, you know, throw a man through a wall. Steals every film he's in, basically. He's a really he? good actor. Yeah. Yeah, really he's good. even good in 2012, which is a dreadful film. God, is he in that? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. I'd imagine they just offered him a lot of money. Um, so, Bond is full of stupid names like Money, Penny, Smallbone and Goodhead. Give me your best Bond lady name now. Well, I discovered that styles of architecture are really good for Bond girls. Mm-hmm. So, um, although I'd love to give you a silly one, like, I don't know, Cecily Crustweasel. Right, yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for Petrine Baroque. Oh, that which is, is good. nice. Mysterious. Uh, also, a couple of others uh, Regents Rococo, <laughs> Bristol Byzantine, and Kurasani Late. Oh. I mean, you'd fancy all of those girls. Bristol Byzantine, particularly, because mm. you think of, you know, Bristol cities. 
Sure. Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, you could do you can do jokes about Bristol's nice exactly. Bristol's. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And, and uh, Bond would do that. And Petrine Baroque, uh, I just you know mysterious. I, yes. Yeah. I could see her working for like a global hedge fund, and then actually it turns out With she's an patch. assassin. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. 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 That's fantastic. Again, another angle we've never previously thought of. Uh, so, give me your best Bond film title that you've just made up. Uh, Bearing in mind, we've got somebody who makes posters of these now, so no pressure. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Do, do you want something genuinely could be a Bond title or something funny? Something wherever you want. Really okay. funny. Genuine Bond title. Uh, this is, I'm going to embarrass myself now. Go on. I've written a Bond theme tune. <gasps> Go on. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. No, no, no. I'm not going to embarrass What's myself. It but it's called A Fine Day to Die. And That's I've, good. I've written the music, I've written the theme tune, I wrote it in the shower. It's something that amuses me. I noticed one day that Bond tunes are great, but also very similar mm. musical, you know, musically and melodically, structurally. And I was like, I wonder if I could write one. So in the shower, over a series of weeks, I gradually created my own one, and it's called A Fine Day to Die. That's good. Uh, so that would be this sort of the classic, normal, could maybe be in a cinema title. In terms of a funny one, I'd have to go for something like, God, not again. <laughs> James Bond in God, not again. That's good. Because, like, poor guy. Yeah, he's like... He's been through a lot. Like John McClane, isn't he? Yeah, like, yeah. seriously. He's but he's a spy. It's his job for look for trouble. I know, but, yeah. like... It's not like he's an insurance salesman. But we've never seen a mission where it's gone perfectly well. He's done some spying, and he's gone, ah, oh, found the thing. Here's a report. Be a rubbish film, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, but, you know, yeah. like, seriously, the number of times things have gone not to plan, mm. and uh, he's been put in very serious danger. Someone he loves has been killed. You know, the car he's driving has been blown up. I mean, all of his missions are, frankly, disasters. It's true. So, uh, God Not Again would yeah, be so, my Bond film. All right, well, James Marshall, a man who makes our posters, will make either one of those, <laughs> and he'll do a good job. Thank you, James. Um, so, um, a hypothetical fistfight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint and James Bond 007. Who wins? I don't know anything about the Saint. Good. So, tell me tell me two things about the Saint. Uh, he wears disguises. Ooh. And uh, he's a gentleman. Right, well, Bond wins then, surely. Because yeah, yeah. Bond, Bond will easily punch someone in the crotch. Mm. He's just got that in him. He'll have a gadget to blow his head off. That too. I mean, yeah. unless the saint uses a disguise to fool a Bond into thinking that he's actually a little old lady. And then just throws a haymaker, you know, and, and completely floors him. That is the only way I could see it working. Could happen. Could but happen. I think Bond. And uh, finally, you're stranded on a desert island with Sean Connery... George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Mm. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? Ooh, uh, I don't see any of them being effective leaders. Uh, I think they're all probably a bit m- me, me, me. Maybe mm. Lazenby. Maybe Lazenby was quite a sort of good team player. I don't know. I don't yeah. know him enough. I, think, I don't think so. So I, I suspect they'd all be bad at, at leading us off the island. But I, I'd put my faith... In Dalton, hmm. you'd be wise to. He's just a man who's got some. There's a glint behind the eye. I'll get us off this island. Yeah, yeah. follow me. I know what I'm doing. I'll get us off this bloody island. And yeah. I think Pierce Brosnan would be a fussy eater hmm. and wouldn't want to eat the other bonds. Yeah. So I think we'd have to eat him. Yeah, yeah. That's Sorry. good reasoning. You know, nothing personal. No. It's just, you know, Goldeneye, my favourite. I don't want to eat him, but. No. In terms of who would eat another Bond, I don't think he would eat another Bond, and I think we all need to survive. And you'd have nice memories of him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know, I'd be eating the leg thinking, oh, Goldeneye was good. Yeah. I mean, Tomorrow Never Dies, not so much, but Goldeneye was great. Mm. 
So I'm dying another day. Let's not go there. Yeah, that's why you're eating his balls. <laughs> Greg Jenner. <laughs> on that note, thank you so much. For thank you today. It was lovely to, and thank you for putting your fingerprints on the universe. It's so, a Highlander joke. There. I know. I've, I've smeared my clammy little hands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you very much, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Highlander, there can be only one. And here we are, we're the princes of the universe. Here we belong, fighting for survival. We've come to be the rulers of the world. Game of Thrones. The Walking Dead. Westworld. No, that's the West Wing. West, Westworld. There we go. There have been many podcasts which seek to analyse the complexities, the depth, the plot lines, the hidden story arcs, the beauty of these productions. Quite simply, the world doesn't need another one, which is why we're applying that level of discussion to the bottom of the televisual barrel and scraping it with a weekly celebration of The One Show. That's right, BBC One's flagship early evening fluff cast doesn't get the in-depth chewing over it deserves. Until now, welcome then to the The One Show show, where we treat the Matt Baker, Alex Jones vehicle with the level of sophisticated examination one would ordinarily reserve for the likes of The Wire. It's very sad that it's come to this, isn't it, Sandy? Fuck the casual viewer, The Wire's creator David Simon once said. See, I'd get angry, but I wouldn't say anything. I'd keep it inside, which is bad for you, apparently. Committed viewing requires commitment, and that is what we're bringing to that programme where every now and again, Giles Brandreth will visit a factory to see how paint is made. He always delivers this. Well, I mean... A barn owl and a marsh area. On each The The One Show show, I'll be joined by a guest destroyer of worlds. What did you learn from this week's The One Show? The presenter, Angelica Bell, can't swim. (laughs) It's disarray. The baby's on the floor. Alex Jones sniffed a bandage to see if she could smell Parkinson's disease on it. It's not great. Uh, (laughs) And with that, good night. Down in the hole. Great Big Owl. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.